0: We are, again, as I mentioned last week, we are in between sermon series, um, and so let me invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. Let's uh, prepare our minds and hearts for the reading of God's word. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in generosity, rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, through, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to one what. If you would also uh, jump ahead to chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 6 through 15 from chapter 9 as well. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And uh, then, well, we'll, I'll stop there, but just skip ahead to verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So uh, we are in between sermon series and so during that time in between sermon series, as is often the, the practice, uh, we do some just sort of standalone sermons. And last week we looked at the question of doubt in the Christian life. This week, uh, we are doing something that I hope you know. And if you've been around here any length of time, I think you should know that this isn't like a regular drumbeat of Redeemer Church. Uh, it, it, it's a topic that we address in the new membership class very directly. It's a topic that I address as it comes up in our regular sermon series and expositional preaching, but it's not something that, uh, you know, we sort of, that is sort of the regular, uh, repeated every Sunday drum beat. and and that is this, the topic of giving, uh, And, you know, if a pastor is really smart, he gets a guest preacher to come to church and preach on the topic of giving. But short of that, uh, the next best thing I think is to preach on the topic of giving when you don't need to preach on the top of, of giving. And, you know, either when the budget's really in the red and, or, or, or when you're starting the capital campaign to, build a new floor or wing on the church or whatever else it is. Uh, certainly, you know, it's not bad to preach on giving at those times, but sometimes maybe those circumstances can make it feel like the pastor is dishing out a scolding on the congregation or desperately trying to squeeze a few more drops out of a lemon that's already been <laughs> squeezed all as much as it can be. But all to say, I, I think it's, I, I think it's better, and that's why we're preaching on this now, to preach on giving, when you don't need to preach on giving, and actually around here is all the time, never, all the time you don't need to preach, I'm not saying that right, all the time, because we never need to preach on giving here, because Redeemer Church is always been an incredibly generous church. Uh, since launching Redeemer Church, I don't believe there's ever been a time when our needs haven't been met. And early on, we did have some outside uh, help and support of finances and giving from other churches and other Christians. Uh, but most of that always came from within, and we've always had more than we need. And in fact, when we've made efforts towards new endeavors like purchasing a building, the response has always been generous. And so uh, let me just, uh, by way of Continuing this long introduction, let me just say thank you, Redeemer Church, for being a generous church. You are a generous church, and I'm really amazed by the generosity of Redeemer Church. You know, a lot of the the demographics here aren't really the... The demographics that you might typically think of as, uh, you, you know, lots of young families with lots of young kids as really able to give a lot demographic. Uh, but God has abundantly provided for our needs here. And he's done it through you all, through generous hearts that are followed through and exhibited and displayed through generous giving. And... uh I can hope uh, that that people who have been benefited from the the ministries of Word and Deed here at Redeemer, and people that are passionate about extending the ministries of Word and Deed here at Redeemer, respond to that benefit or uh, uh, pursue that passion through generous giving and Paul here sees generous uh, giving of Christians as a response uh, a result of in response to knowing and worshiping a generous God and so thank you Redeemer Church for your gospel produced Christ displaying kingdom seeking generosity And so what's prompting this sermon, as I said, it's not uh, that there's a dire need or a a capital campaign or or, uh, it's not a scolding, uh, but what is it? Well, first of all... uh, giving and generous giving is simply a regular part of our discipleship in Jesus and something that as a church that the, the Bible talks about and that as a church we talk about and, and teach about that when we follow Jesus as our king we lay down our whole life give our whole life to him and no part of life is off limits to him and we submit ourselves To him and follow in obedience. And when we commit ourselves to a life in the church, the church of Jesus, then, you know, in our new members class, some, some of you maybe it's been a while, so here's a little review. We talk about how part of what that means is giving of our time and talents and treasure, giving of our time, being present in and with the family of God giving of our talents, serving with the gifts God has given each one of us uniquely in order to use those in particular ways to build up the body of Christ. And giving of our treasure, using the earthly treasure that God has provided and blessed us with to support the ministry of the church in the preaching of the gospel and works of mercy, word and deed. And so this is a regular part of our discipleship in Jesus. And second, uh, just as we'll see in this chapter, we can always ask ourselves uh, if we can grow in the grace of giving. It's a question that Paul asks his audience, the Corinthian church that he's writing to. It's a question I've been asking myself. It's a question we can ask ourselves as a church, as individuals, Can we grow in the grace of giving? What else could we do as a church for God's glory and kingdom uh, and God's family if we more greatly excelled in what Paul here calls the grace of giving? And, you know, I I alluded to earlier in the earliest parts of uh, days of Redeemer Church, Part of the reason we could launch and exist and have what we needed is because of the generosity of other churches and other Christians that gave to us in their plenty to support us in our lack. And that's part of what Paul is describing here in chapter 8. And this is why we like to support church plants. And maybe, you know, we could do more, uh, grow more in being generous towards other churches enabling them to launch and exist. And, and, uh, you know, we've talked about our desire to add staff. Perhaps there's more outreach and mercy ministries that we can do to bless our church family and neighbors and community. Maybe we can plant a church ourselves someday. What could God do? how can we excel all the more in the grace of giving? And so there's four things that we see in this, these uh, chapters of scripture here. Uh, first, we see the example of the Macedonian churches. So there's a few different groups here. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He's using the example of giving of the Macedonian churches towards the Jerusalem church and inviting and encouraging the Corinthians to join in that as they had promised to do. And so he's using the example of the Macedonian churches. He's seeking to gather financial support from the Gentiles to send to the Jerusalem church in their, in their extreme need because that's what Christians do. That's what churches do. They give generously to support the work of the church and meet the needs of other churches and Christians. And in order to encourage the Corinthian church to follow through with their giving, he points to this example of the Macedonian churches. Verse one, we want you to know about the grace that God has given The Macedonian churches. And what grace is that that God has given to them? He goes on to describe and sum up in verse 7 see that you also excel in this grace of giving. The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches is the grace of giving. Generosity through giving is a grace. You know, the act of giving is a gift of God's grace to the giver and a response to God's grace by the giver and a reflection of God's grace in the giver. And we can be generous only because God has been undeservedly generous to us. It's a gift of his grace that he invites us into to be blessed by. And Paul's final word on the matter then at the end of chapter 9, thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. And so, in telling them about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, he is telling them of their example of generosity. And there's two interesting things, uh, two sort of uh, things that don't seem to fit together that characterize their example. First, joy and trials, and second, generosity and poverty. And in verse 2 of chapter 8, we read that in the midst of a very severe trial, we read their overflowing joy. You see, those things that we normally don't put together go together. (laughs) They had overflowing joy, joy in Christ despite challenging, trying circumstances. Their joy was in Christ. Christ. And they had joy because their joy was not dependent upon their circumstances and they didn't let their circumstances dictate their actions or attitudes. And this is uh, the consistent testimony of the New Testament that for the Christian, joy is not derived from or dependent upon our circumstances, but comes from Christ. And because of that, it means that our circumstances can't rob us of true joy in Christ, but that we can have joy through all circumstances, even trying circumstances, because we know that God cares about us in our trials we know that God is present with us in our trials. We know that our trials or the lowly circumstances of life are not what is ultimate and ter- eternal and most important about us and that, uh, that our changing circumstances cannot un- change the unchangeable eternal spiritual realities that are true of us because of Christ and that our tragic and trying circumstances can't steal or spoil what is most valuable in this world, which we have in Christ. And we know that God is working all things, even trying difficult things, for good. His children. And so their joy, even in the midst of trials, wasn't snuffed out. But in fact, the opposite, it, 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 it's, we're, we read that it overflowed. It overflowed even in extreme poverty into rich generosity. And that's the second paradox of their example. Joy in trials. Second, generosity in poverty. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up enrich generosity and paul goes on to describe their initiative in their generosity their eagerness in their generosity and the surprise of their generosity he says that uh, they they gave as much as they were able even beyond their ability entirely on their own they pleaded for the privilege of sharing in this service to the lord's people and they exceeded our expectations see generosity is not ultimately a function of the resources you have it's a fun, it's a response of a of your heart and if you aren't generous when it's hard to be you may not be generous when it becomes easier to be in fact when it's easier to be then may come the harder test of generosity it, Paul never mentions how much the Macedonian churches gave. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he talks about the surprise at how they gave beyond their ability uh, and that uh, they exceeded expectations. He doesn't say how much that was. It maybe it was a little. More likely it was, it may, maybe it was a lot. More likely it was not a lot. But the focus isn't on how much they gave. But that they gave and what was in their heart that prompted them to give as generously as they could. More than they could, in fact. And Paul recognizes that generosity will look different for different people. He sums it up in verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And so the question isn't how much do you give in comparison to someone else, but are you honoring God with what God has given you. Because he's concerned about what's in the heart. And really, generosity is fueled by a heart of love. The proper motive of generosity is love. Love that's fueled by a knowledge of Christ's love for us. Generosity is an expression of a heart of love. Verse 7 Paul writes, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. The heart of giving and generosity is love. And the reason God's people are generous is because they worship a generous God and have seen his generosity in that generous God's generous salvation of them. Do we see the generosity of our God and the generosity of God? Of our Savior. And that's the second point that we see. First, we see the example of the Macedonian churches. Second, we see the motivating power of Jesus' generosity. Generosity comes from a heart of love, but where do we get a heart of love? Well, we get it from looking at the generous love of Jesus for us. And that's exactly what Paul does here. He reminds them of the generous love of Jesus. For them, verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And this is a, a beautiful summary of the, the good news of Jesus. In fact, follows after the same pattern of the Jesus hymn of Philippians chapter two. If you recall, from when we went through the book of Philippians, that though he was rich, and this refers to Jesus' eternal uh, pre-incarnate state as the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, before he entered into this world, before he was born and took on flesh, he was rich. He was rich in every way. He was fully God, possessing the same divine being as God the Father. He was equal with God in power and glory. All power and glory belonged to him. Having all the rights of God having lived forever in heavenly glory with God and deserving all praise and honor and obedience and who could have insisted upon that equality with God by using it to his own advantage, but though he was rich, he became poor. And this is why it's so important to think about not just the state which Jesus came into, but the state which Jesus came from. Because that makes his act of becoming poor all the more amazing that that one who was equal to God, fully divine, that one made himself poor. Though he was rich, he became poor. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He became a servant and humbled himself. And he did all of this willingly, voluntarily, And graciously, he left his perfect heavenly home of glory. He was born into this world to live in a fallen world with fallen people. And instead of getting all praise and honor and obedience as he deserved, he was rejected by men. And the the depths of his poverty in this life was that he he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. Humbled himself to die on a cross, to die the shameful death of a criminal and suffer in that death the wrath of God for sin. Though he is rich, yet he became poor. The sinless, spotless, perfect, eternal son of God tasting the wrath of God Against sin, tasting death for us, so that we who were poor could become rich. We who were poor, we who were under the condemnation of sin, we who were sinners before a holy God to face his just judgment against our sin with no hope save in his sovereign mercy, he showed mercy to us through Christ. We who were poor. Now rich, made rich through him by his generous grace. He gives us the eternal and invaluable riches of God's redemption and every spiritual blessing in Christ. Forgiveness of sins no longer under their condemnation. Being made right with God and giving a righteous status before him. Reconciled to God to live in a renewed relationship with him. Adopted as his beloved children forever. With the hope of glory, eternal and abundant life. With God, the author and source of life and joy. Forever. You can't get more rich than that and I don't care what your circumstances of life or bank account or paycheck or whatever else, you can't get more rich than that. He who was rich became poor for us so that we who are poor could be rich in him. And these poor churches then, the, the, that these Macedonian churches, they know that in Christ they are rich even though they're poor. And, uh, you know, in Jesus' words to the the seven churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, remind us that you can be a rich, poor person, and you can be a poor, rich person. Material rich, but all the while lacking in spiritual riches. And material poor, but all the while having abundant spiritual riches. And God may make you in this life a materially rich person, but it is a person's response to the gospel which determines whether you are a rich or poor person in God's eyes, and that is ultimately and eternally more important. And what Jesus has done for us to make us so rich is meant to be reflected then in our lives in what we do for others. His generosity to us calls us to a greater generosity in life, in heart, in action, in attitude. Because God, as Paul says in chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. Because God is a cheerful giver. And God wants our hearts to be generous because God's heart is generous. The example of the Macedonian churches, we see for a second the motivating power of Jesus generosity the third thing we see here is the call to excel in the grace of giving we see this in verse 7 I am not commanding you Uh, and so you know giving of course is never obligatory or by compulsion if it is it is no longer giving and part of what reveals the heart of the generosity, of generosity in the giver is the fact of the free nature of the gift, that it is freely uh, chosen to depart from it, to make that gift. And totally up to the giver as to whether the giver will give or keep. He insists that it has to be voluntary if it's to be giving, But that doesn't mean that he won't try to persuade them to grow in the grace of generosity, right? And they've excelled in a lot of gifts. Verse 7, faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, the love we have kindled in you. But there's another gift that they could excel more in. That is the gift, the grace of giving. He wants them to excel in generosity, and and you know one of the striking things I think when you read the the book of the, the New Testament and particularly the book of Acts, is the the striking generosity. The, the early church really did excel in the grace of giving in unbelievable ways, uh, radical generosity to support the spread of the gospel and the meeting of needs within the family of God. And he makes sure to remind them in verse 11 through 13 that his purpose in this isn't so that they would be hard-pressed so that others could live large in luxury off of their generosity. Paul says the goal is equality. And you know, I think that this doesn't mean that everyone has exactly the same amount, uh, but it means that one wouldn't have way too much while another had not enough. And that their plenty can meet another's need and in turn, another, that other's need later down the road, that other's plenty could meet their need. And so there was this recipro- reciprocal relationship where people meet one another's needs in the family of God. And he quotes from the Old Testament when God's people were in the wilderness and God provided them with manna to eat and uh, they, you know, and, and each day and they couldn't hoard uh, beyond the needs of the day. It would rot. They had to gather each day just enough for the day, trusting in God to provide. And... Um, you know the the point here I think is is this: not that we uh, shouldn't save for the future, but the point is that each act of giving then is a testimony to the belief in a faithful God who provides, and each act of giving is a testimony to the experience of a present God who is sufficient for us, and each act of giving is a testimony of love. In our hearts to the family of God. But the problem here, and, and the reason Paul is calling them to excel in this grace of giving, is that this church had a bit of stalling out in their generous intentions. Verse 10 to 12, the problem is described and seems to be that they had promised a gift, but they hadn't followed through on that promise. And isn't that sometimes the case with us? That in our there's a gap between our good intentions and our actions of following through on those good intentions. And we can have good intentions, but those good intentions can actually make us feel so good about having them, good enough that we forget about the necessity of following through on them. Or we can have these good intentions and then later on we see the cost of following through on them and have second thoughts. But he wants them to follow through on their good intentions with their actions. And don't we need to do that too? Don't we need to do that when it comes to generosity? And if we don't plan and intend to be generous, we probably won't. And even when we intend to be generous, we need to follow through on those intentions. And maybe for us here, What does that look like? Maybe that will involve some planning in order to give generously in a more disciplined way. You know, some people take it. We have lots of ways to do this in our day and age. Some people take advantage of automatic giving. Some people set up anonymous giving. Some people prefer old school giving. But whatever the method and beyond just the methods, maybe it will involve some change of priorities habits. Maybe it will involve repentance. But in doing so, God promises that we will reap a harvest from God. And sometimes, you know, we get the, the, the great privilege and blessing of being able to see the result of our generosity in the life of someone else. And sometimes we get to the privilege of seeing the great blessing of uh, the result of someone else's generosity in our lives. And uh, aren't those great things to see? You never know what kind of difference a little bit of generosity can make in the life of someone else. We don't always get to see that. Sometimes we do, and that's a real blessing when we do. But you never know what kind of difference a little bit of generosity can make in the life of someone else. But here's the surprising thing of God's call to generosity among his people, is that as much as generosity benefits the recipient, At least as much, if not more, it benefits the giver. Sometimes the biggest difference made and the biggest benefit received is in the heart and life of the giver. And that's the last thing we're going to look at. I'll try to be quick here. Uh, The fourth thing we see is the righteousness and rewards of generosity righteousness and rewards of generosity so generosity remember is an act of love it's first an act of love and and obedience to God and second it's an act of love and service to one another uh, whether it's uh, giving to support the church's proclamation of the gospel which meets people's deepest need right or whether it's to support the church's mercy ministry to meet material needs, and those are sort of the two categories of of the work of the church that we see in the New Testament. Either way, it's an act of love, and it's part of our Christian righteousness. In verse 9, Paul quotes from Psalm 112, "'They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever.'" The people of God all throughout Scripture are called to be generous, open-handed, and open-hearted to the needs of those around him. It is an expression of a righteous life God calls us to. And the practice of it is one of the means with which God grows righteousness in us. It weans us off of the love of this world. It teaches us to store up treasure in heaven, to set our mind on heavenly things. It teaches us to trust God instead of riches. It teaches us to be selfless. Generosity is part of our Christian righteousness. Second thing we see here, and these uh, points are focused on the bit in chapter 9 that I read. Um, God blesses us so that we can be generous. There's two statements in those verses in chapter 9 that are so that statements that express the intended purpose or result of something and both of those so that statements say, that the, the, say the same thing. The reason God blesses us is so that, the purpose for that and the intended result of that is so that we can be generous. Verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. God blesses us and enriches us not so that we can only enrich ourselves, but so that we can be generous. Not so that we can only use those blessings on and for ourselves, but so that we can meet the needs of others. And the third thing we see in these verses is that God rewards us when we are generous. Verse six, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And this is a farming analogy. you Sow seed and you reap a harvest and if you want the harvest to be plentiful, you can't be stingy with the seed is the point. And now I need to say, verses like this, I believe, have been uh, greatly abused by many people in a position like mine to enrich themselves at others' expense by promising that if they give what they don't eat, what, what they don't have, God will then make them materially rich. That's not what this is saying. What is the harvest that God is promised? Verse nine. God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This isn't promising that when we're generous, God makes us materially richer than before, such that we would give so that we can become rich. (laughs) It's promising that God gives us spiritual reward for our generosity. When uh, what what is promising to God's people is that when they open their hands to give, God rewards them. What they find is open hands to receive God's spiritual blessings. Martin Luther said this: "That I have had many things in my hands that I lost." The things that I placed in the hands of God, I still possess. Let's pray that God would give us generous hearts that reflect his generosity. Our Father in heaven, we pray just that. Uh, We thank you uh, so much for Jesus, our generous Savior, who gave us a generous salvation. We who were poor were made rich by his self-giving Undeserved, freely given, generous love. And help us, we pray, to examine ourselves. Help us, we pray, to excel in this grace of giving. Help us to be generous people. And we thank you for the generosity that has characterized this church and the people in it. We pray that that would continue all for your glory for the good of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.